scripture lesson for this Sunday comes to us from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 3, verses 15 through 22. Listen now for God's word to you. As the people were filled with expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John the baptizer, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them, saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary. The chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he proclaimed the good news to the people. But Herod the ruler, who had been rebuked by him because of Herodias, his brother's wife, and because of all the evil things that Herod had done, added to them all by shutting up John in prison. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus had also been baptized and was praying, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So today is Baptism of the Lord Sunday, the day where we just heard the story of Jesus' baptism and also an opportunity for us to reflect and to remember our own baptism. Uh, but this Sunday, I think, poses one of the most interesting, interesting theological questions that we have. Why was Jesus baptized? Why was Jesus baptized? Certainly, he wasn't in need of new birth because he is the one who brings new birth into the world. Certainly he wasn't in need of repentance and turning around and going in in a new direction because he's the one who brings that that new direction into the world. Certainly he wasn't in need of the cleansing of sin because he offers that in God's name to the world. So why was Jesus baptized? It's not just a a question that we modern folks have wondered about. I think uh, throughout church history we've wondered about this question. Why was Jesus baptized? baptized church fathers and mothers and theologians and pastors and people who sit in the pews every sunday we've we've all wondered this question and even the gospel writers themselves i think wonder about this question why was jesus baptized i think the the gospel writer matthew had the most anxiety about jesus baptism because in his account of the story jesus shows up to the jordan river And he comes to John, ready to be baptized, and John says, you want me to baptize you? It's you who should be baptizing me. I think this question reflects maybe more of Matthew's anxiety than John's. But Matthew helps us out. He has Jesus answer the question. Jesus says that I have to be baptized by you, John, in order to fulfill all righteousness. In other words, this is simply how it has to be. But I think it's important for us to remember that the Gospels are, have different perspectives and different contexts that they're addressing. Uh, one of the things I wish I could do is be a fly on the wall in a conversation between the four Gospel writers and to hear that conversation. Because they all have different things to say about Jesus. Not that they're fighting or arguing with or contradicting each other, but they all have different contexts they're speaking out of and different situations they're trying to speak through. Trying to help us to understand who Jesus is, why his life matters, and who we're supposed to be because of him. And so this morning, we get Luke's perspective. How might Luke answer that question, why was Jesus baptized? 
And I think that Luke would take us back further, back to John the baptizer as he has his ministry out on the banks of the Jordan River. Remember, John, we met him during the season of Advent, that wild prophet dressed in camel's hair and subsisting on a diet of locusts and wild honey, out there preaching on the banks of the Jordan River. And as he's, he's out there, there's this, this crowd of people that gathers around him to hear him as he's preaching this message. We get this sort of motley crew of people who come out there to hear him. We get tax collectors, people who had gotten really wealthy on the occupation government of the Romans. They've come out uh, to hear John. We also have Roman soldiers from the local garrison who have come out to hear John, perhaps sent by their commander. Because if there's one thing that makes powerful people anxious, is it's groups of people congregating together and talking about newness in a new way in the world. So, so maybe they're out there to hear John, to, to see exactly what uh, he's up to. What is this all about? But beyond these sort of named characters, we have probably ordinary, everyday people who have come out to hear John. We have the poor and the dispossessed. We have the wealthy and their long flowing robes. We have uh, the citizens and foreigners. We have all sorts of people, the sick, the hungry, the, the people starving for some good news. They've all come out to hear John as he preaches. And of course, John's message, if you remember back to Advent, is repent, you brood of vipers. And since I was ordained, I've been looking for the moment that's pastorally sensitive and prophetically necessary to call someone or a group of people a brood of vipers. And I still haven't found that moment quite yet. Repent, John says. Don't just talk about repentance, but display it with your lives. There's someone who's coming into the world. Turn your lives, orient your lives in the direction of the one who is coming. He said, we are running out of time. There's a sense of urgency to John's message. The, the axe is already lying at the root of the trees, John says, ready to cut down any tree that does not produce or bear fruit. So bear fruit worthy of repentance. Now, I imagine that there were some out there who came to hear John who were rather irked by his message, that it rubbed them the wrong way. They said, this isn't the church for me. And they went on home and went about their lives as they ordinarily but I imagine for most who gathered there on the banks of the Jordan to listen to John, that they connected deeply with his message, that they were ready for some repentance. Because remember, repentance is just going in another direction, that they were ready for the newness of God to crest the horizon of their lives, that they were weary and worn out and exhausted and ready for to be made whole again. That perhaps some of them were ready to leave behind those messages of guilt and shame that sometimes toxic religion can place on people and ready to walk with a sense of God's love and grace in their lives. There were others who were, who were ready to participate in the, the kingdom of God as it was burgeoning and exploding into the world. What are we to do, some of them asked John. And John says, if whoever has two coats should give one to the person who has none, whoever has food should share it. In other words, pay attention to the needs of those around you. The tax collectors, they ask, what are we to do? And John says to them, don't take more than is required. And that only makes sense if you understand that tax collectors got exceptionally wealthy taking more than the required tax. And to the Roman soldiers, they, the Roman soldiers ask John, what are we to do? These brutal occupiers of the Jewish homeland and 
And John says to them, don't take anything by force and be content with your pay. All of these people, this motley crew of folks gathered out on the banks of the Jordan River, listening to John and being plunged into the muddy waters of the Jordan River. And there among all of them, there among the wealthy and the poor, there among the well-respected and the people of no regard, there among the, the, uh, the, the surly and the well-regarded, there among all of them is Jesus. Jesus is just sort of standing there among the whole crowd. That there, he doesn't come out of uh, into into Judea the way he does in Matthew and Mark. He's just sort of there, standing among this crowd of people. How long Jesus has been standing there is anybody's guess, but my guess is he's been standing there the whole time, listening to the message that John preaches, standing shoulder to shoulder with all of those folks the hot sun beating down on his face just like it is on everybody else's, his feet caked in dirt just like it is on everybody else's. He's standing there out there among all of them with this community of people, this community of people who otherwise would never have associated or connected with each other. And I think that Jesus' placement in this story helps us to begin to answer that question of why was Jesus baptized? his placement within that context of community. Our our Constitution, the Book of Order, which I know all of you have on your night tables, and you read it before you shut your eyes at night, um, really reading up on your Presbyterian polity. um, Towards the back, you get the Presbyterian understanding of what baptism is all about. And uh, one of the things that we believe is that uh, baptism almost always happens within the context of community. It is very rare to find a baptism in the Presbyterian Church that takes place outside of ordinary, everyday Sunday worship. Um, There are some circumstances, like I know when I was a student chaplain, there was someone who wanted to be baptized who was on their deathbed. We make exceptions for those kinds of things, but even then, there's still this effort to connect it with community. That baptism in the Presbyterian Church happens always within the context of community, always surrounded by other people. Because what our understanding of baptism is all about is that we are not only becoming God's children in that moment, or not only being proclaimed as God's children, which is already true, but we are also committing ourselves to each other, committing to love and to support the one who is baptized. That nobody is baptized alone, but always in the context of community. That in baptism, we become each other's people. There's a, a book that I have on my shelf called The Gospel in Solo to Name. I, I think I've mentioned this before. Um, it, it's written, it's a, it was written by the, not written, it's a, a transcript of the conversations that took place between uh, the, uh, of what's called the Campesinos, the peasants in the, the Solo to Name archipelago in Nicaragua. Um, so every Sunday, these peasants would gather together with their priest, Ernesto Cardinal, and instead of the sermon, uh, they would just have these conversations. So the commentary is the, 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 the transcript of these conversations. And so when it comes to Jesus' baptism, a conversation on this passage, uh, one of the peasants says that Jesus was just sort of standing there with everybody else. He was just one of, one of the crew. And then there's a, a man named Alejandro. And he says that you could say that Jesus' baptism was an act of solidarity. It was an act of solidarity. It was his connection, his sort of saying that these are my people. 
you know, I think that the peasants of Solotanaim are on to something, that, that Jesus is baptized because these are his people, that this is Jesus' community, who Jesus stands around with at the, at the banks of the Jordan River, the tax collectors, the soldiers, the so-called sinners, the outcasts, the surly, the, dis, the disreputed, the, the disregarded. These are Jesus' people. And he is baptized with them, that Jesus is there with them, that he's there as, he, as people emerge from the muddy waters of the Jordan. And the waters of the Jordan are incredibly muddy. That he's there with them as they emerge and have that experience of new life. He's, he's there with the soldiers as they unstrap their armor and walk into the water and emerge into a new way of peace. He's there with the tax collectors as they perhaps experience repentance, this going in a new direction in their lives. He is there with all of them because they are his people. Of course he's going to be baptized with them. And as Jesus' turn finally comes, and he goes into the water himself, when he emerges, that's when the voice comes from heaven and says, you are my son, the beloved, and in you I am well pleased. And if these are Jesus' people, then what is said about him is true for them as well. And it's true for us as well. You are my child, and in you I am well pleased. You are my people. You belong to me. Perhaps that is the answer to the question, why was Jesus baptized? He did it for us. He did it so that we might know who we belong to, whose we are, that we might know that we belong to God, we belong to love, we belong to grace. Most of you know my friend uh, Garrett, uh, Garrett Mostowski. He's the, excuse me, Reverend Garrett Mostowski. Uh, to me, he's just Garrett. Um, he's the, one of the co-pastors down at Fort Street. He's been here uh, a few times for me. He preached at my installation. He preached for me uh, last year when I was on paternity leave. Um, along with being a pastor, he's also one of, the, uh, one of the best storytellers I know. He's a published poet, too. Um, he recently had a story published online, and I want to read it for you because I want you to hear it exactly how uh, he wrote it. He says, I'll never forget showing up at my first family reunion on my stepdad's side. I won't forget the last one either. The first one was because it's awkward. I didn't know anybody there since it really wasn't my family yet, and no one knew me either, and so they were all looking at me funny trying to figure me out. I was the only one with red hair and freckles. I'm almost always the only one like that. Swarms of aunts and uncles and great aunts and uncles and all the cousins. Oh, there were so many cousins. And every single one of them wanted to know which family I belonged to and how did I get there and where did I live again and in what town and who was my daddy and, oh, I was just a friend of a cousin someone had brought along to this. And whoever heard of another Smith-Williams-Davidson family member to have red hair? I was seven years old and I was drowning. Till my new grandma bowled through the crowds and scooped me up to sit her on her hip like I was still a baby, like I didn't weigh anything. She carried me to her car, put me in the back seat, buckled me up like I couldn't do it myself, and then she wiped her eyes, clenched her jaw, and forced a smile through the rearview mirror all the way to the store, where she snatched me up and carried me to the back wall and stood there holding me with one arm while her other hand played with her lips." She scanned the wall of shiny little boxes for what felt like an hour until she reached, grabbed a box, held it against my head, set it back, grabbed another, held it to my head again, and said, hmm, that's it. Back home, we didn't go to the backyard to be with the rest of the family right away. 
Instead, Grandma took me through the front door and had me wait on the couch while she took care of something in the bathroom. Her hair was fire when she came out. I used the dye on it, she told me, stepping into the living room, wiping her head with a towel. What do you think? At the last family reunion, Grandma died from natural causes, and everybody stayed a few extra days for the funeral. And while all the aunts and uncles and great aunts and uncles and every cousin in the world, while they all threw their roses into her, onto her coffin and said their goodbyes, I dropped a plastic bag filled with red hair dyes and whispered, thank you. Perhaps that's a little bit of what Jesus is doing in his own baptism, dyeing his hair red, so to speak. Everyone's wondering, everyone asks, who do you belong to? Jesus in his baptism says, you belong to me. You are my people. And if we're Jesus' people, then what's said about him, that he is God's beloved, and in him God is well-pleased, then it's said about us too. Don't let anyone ever take that from you. Don't let anyone ever make you think differently. You are God's beloved child, and in you, God is well-pleased. Remember that as you come to the font today. In you, God is well-pleased. Thanks be to God. Amen.